Hello and welcome back to Cloisterbell, a weekly Doctor Who podcast hosted by Liam and Rob. Yeah, and hello, welcome back to the Cloisterbell podcast, the only Doctor Who podcast around with us. So yes, we are an exclusive. <laughs> Unless you're in any others, Liam. Uh, not yet, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not going to branch out. Uh, just, just trying to think of what I could have a I could have a podcast where I just talk about you know just random nonsense or do a Blake Seven <laughs> podcast. Could do. Or what if we break up like a band? <laughs> and then ten years time to uh, do a reunion. <laughs> Who would get to keep the name? Would we have to? Would we split the doctors between? We're, we're only allowed to cover <laughs> half a dozen each. So. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll we'll squabble over the name, and we'll have to you know take it take it a call and everything. So yeah, we'll do we'll do it's it. Like a nightmare. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do the breakup properly. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking like proper Pink Floyd epic breakup. <laughs> so do you think if I get like a new co-host called Liam? You'll just sue me <laughs> for copyright. <laughs> he can't have the same name as me. It's a disgrace. Anyway, back to the podcast. Um, yeah, today we're talking about the Fearmonger. Like I was saying, it's a big finish story from the year 2000. And the publisher's summary, which I'll read out now. One would-be assassin is in a mental ward. Another's on the run. Their intended victim is stirring up the mobs. Terrorists are planning to strike off their own. A talk radio host is loving every minute of it. A Whitehall insider whispers about a mysterious UN operative with a hidden agenda. Everyone's got someone they want to be afraid of. It'll only take a little push for the situation to erupt. And something is doing the pushing. But can you trust the doctor to put things right? Can you, Liam? <laughs> well, given it's a, uh, the McCoy Doctor, oh, I'm not too sure. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Can you? Everything will work out all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. So, any interesting facts about the story? Well, it was recorded on the 4th and 5th of December, 1999. September. Of September. Mm-hmm. This is McCoy and Aldred's first official reunion since Dimensions in Time. And the first serious follow-up to Survival. Yeah, because funny enough, I thought you were going to say it was their first uh, reunion since they worked together in Survival. I completely forgot, and I'm surprised that I have. The absolutely <laughs> epic as Dimensions in Time. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it is. And it's the first... And, and so naturally, following on from that, it's the first... Um, Sylvester McCoy Big Finish uh, Adventure. Um, he did appear in The Sirens of Time, uh, but that was a, which was the very first Big Finish uh, Doctor Who audio adventure, but that was a multi-Doctor thing, yeah. uh, which, uh, which we have uh, reviewed in a previous podcast. Um, so uh, in terms of uh, McCoy, I was, uh, it was going to be a bit interesting because even though I thought he did a decent job in The Sirens of Time, I thought that compared to Peter Davison and Colin Baker, who hit the ground running with their performances. I thought Sylvester McCoy's performance wasn't as uh, wasn't as strong. It felt a bit subdued. Uh, a little bit. 
Um, which came as a surprise because, as I said when we reviewed the Sirens of Time, I think you know he's he's a very good actor. I think a lot more um, than perhaps people give him credit for. Um, so I was. There's little... more of the humour in this one, isn't there? Here but, and there. Uh, here and there. I mean, but the, he he is. I mean, you can tell that this is this is much more in line with um, the uh, the Doctor of season twenty six as opposed to twenty four or twenty five. Uh, you know, he is a bit more document, you know, manipulative. But yeah, there is that humour there. Because I think with the Seventh Doctor, when everyone talks about him as being this dark manipulator, there, there is an element of of that in the Seventh Doctor, but I do think it is overstated a bit. It's It was a bit more balanced, a bit more nuanced as it was written in the TV series and the way that McCoy performed it. One of the things I thought about the Fearmonger was that Sylvester McCoy's performance is really good. Uh, and I was like, all right, you know, fr- from from the first moments he's in here, and I thought, right, he's. Um, I mean, I may be wrong in this, but I suspect that the experience of the sirens of time made him a bit more comfortable uh, being in a being being an actor in an audio adventure. Yeah, uh, well, this wasn't actually his first audio with Sophie Aldred. Um, before this, he'd they'd been in some of the unofficial fan-produced audio visuals. I've heard. I mean, obviously, I, I, I've heard that um, fans made audio, audio adventures. In fact, that's what sort of led up to Big Finish being uh, yeah. eventually being created. But uh, if you um, look at some of the early Big Finish monthly releases, a lot of them are just recycled stories that were already released as on on fan audio. Oh, okay. So, well, which ones I, do you know? I'm not sure. I know um, Storm of Orion was which is an eighth doctor story mm-hmm. was actually a, a fan audio story where Nick Briggs was was the doctor and he wrote that. Um there's a few others. Mm. I'll I'll have to look that up. Maybe that's um something for another podcast. Mm-hmm. I'll get a bit more clued up on that. But yeah, maybe that uh, because of that they'd warmed up a bit a bit more to the characters for audio. Mm-hmm. Ace gets a surname. Ah yes, yes, she does. Um, apparently, it was a it was adopted from a Virgin New Adventure story called Set Piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and her name's McShane. There was some artwork from the Doctor Who magazine. I sent that over to you. Yes, I did. Uh, yes, you did. Sorry. Um, and I thought it was a, it was a really good uh, piece of artwork. We'll upload it um, onto our Instagram and onto onto the website, so so listeners can can have a look at the artwork that we're talking about. Um. On uh, cloisterbell.co.uk. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Which was a piece of artwork uh, commissioned, obviously, to to advertise the story, and it was uh, it was really rather good. It um, because this is a a political story. um, We have uh, Jacqueline Pierce uh, playing uh, Sherilyn Harper, who's part of uh, who's the leader of a far right uh, political party in Britain. Who seems to be getting an awful lot of support? So in this artwork, it's it's her talking uh, on the podium and, uh, at a rally with all the supporters watching, and then the sort of um, bubbles on the side of the of the image with uh, with various bits of the story being depicted. That's right. We've got a we've got the sight of a gun with crosshair with um, Jacqueline Pierce's character there. We've got McCoy in the in the recording studio. Uh, with the microphone. This is another story that's kind of latched onto the fact that it's an 
it's an audio story. We've had the Whispers of Terror. And of course, this one uses radio to help help with the narrative. Mm-hmm. Fearmonger, of course, is a four-part story. Um, in the opening scene, we see, or rather we hear, the political speech from the new Britannia leader, Sherilyn Harper. As we said, it was played by Jacqueline Pierce. And it would appear initially that this party is potentially encouraging freedom of speech and finger-pointing at the expense of cause and offence and inciting prejudiced behaviour, mm-hmm. um, which isn't a million miles from where we are now with the current kind of state of social views and politics. However, during the speech, there's an attempt on our life um, with a gun, which is perhaps not quite where we're at now with the level of violence. No, no. I know. I mean, I know where you're coming from. I don't think uh, we're. At, I don't think we're at that stage of uh, potential um, political assassination, and uh, I, I hope to God that we're not. Um, but yes, I see what you mean. I think. Um, yes, I think uh, some people would uh, would listen to the fearmonger now and go that you know because of concerns of far right extremism and, and so on that there are elements of this story which um, have remained topical. I think what's interesting about the fearmonger though is um the during the 90s because even though this was released in 2000 as we said earlier this was recorded in September 1999 um there there was a concern uh during the 90s of far right extremism perhaps getting a um a stronghold uh in the early 90s I think certainly around 94 there was there was concern of uh the rise of neo nazism um uh, which seemed to be a, a major concern. And then later on in, in Britain, as time went on, you know, we had uh, political parties like uh, the British Nationalist Party or the BNP for short, yeah. uh, which caused uh, concern for an awful lot of people. But what's interesting is that that political party no longer exists anymore. Um, but it it was a concern of, of the 90s of this, this form of um, far-right extremism perhaps being seen as being legitimate through um, legitimate political action, so like what, like the uh, the political party that we have in this story, the fearmonger. Uh, Would you say that it's more relevant now than it was then? Uh, yes, not and, not necessarily. Well, yes and no. As as I said, I think the, the the way that things are presented in the fearmonger, I think it is very much a product of its time, um, but. There are conversations now where we ha- we where we are talking about freedom of speech, and how that should allow the the freedom to offend and so on, and people to have political opinions of which we may disagree, some which may be on the extreme side of the spectrum. Um, but then, having said that, though those conversations are always around, they they've never dated. Um, and as I said before, something like the BNP, which I suspect um, the writer Jonathan Blum was thinking about when he when he wrote this story, that no longer exists. The only recent equivalent is something like the EDL or the English Defence League, and that's just a group of thugs. I mean, yes, uh, they do intimidate and uh, promote violence, and naturally you need to keep an eye on that. Um, and interestingly, they use social media a lot. Mm-hmm. Which, um, in contrast with this story, it's just like um, the radio show. Yeah, 
So yeah, there's just that, and I think that's a, a bit of a, a double thing. So it, you've got the the use of social media, which uh, which you've just mentioned, but also I think the um, the, the the media's uh, propensity to um, you know recognize a good story and what the people want to hear and so on, and then maybe um, sensationalizing certain aspects. So it, it covers that it covers that side of things as well. But um, so it contains themes which are still relevant. Um, but the way that they are perhaps presented in the fearmonger, I don't. Th- I think they've outdated. I think it does paint a good picture of um, the contrast between the instigators of hate and fear versus the ones who would rebel mm-hmm. against the views. In this case, using violence as retaliation. I love the Mick Thompson show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't love it in real life, but um, it's it's a fun part of the show. In this story. It's a radio show um, that isn't afraid to report on what might offend or that what isn't quite PC. But during the show, the Seventh Doctor appears in the recording studio. I like how he walks in with a sense of authority and Mick Thompson j- just seems a bit taken back by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just appears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was handled really well. And that is quite a, um, a doctorish moment. You know, this fact, you know, he just seems to walk in and just take charge of the situation. Shortly after this, Ace meets up with her old mate, Paul. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that had me confused. Uh, he's not from the TV show, is he? Uh, no, he's not, no. No, that had me wondering if I'd missed something. <laughs> I thought, I didn't see that story. No, no, I, funny enough, it, it crossed my mind as well, uh, because in the um, in the story Survival, they, they go back to Perivale, which is where Ace is from. And she does encounter some of her friends. So I was trying to rack my brains if, if he was a character that she encountered in that story. but um... Apparently not. No, no. So Walter from the shooting phones into the show. And the Doctor uses the radio to reach out for him. And the Doctor suspects there's some evil at work. Um, is he perhaps being a bit naive by dismissing genuine human fear and prejudice? Because he he's always um, he's putting a lot of assumption on the fact that the the fearmonger is causing all this fear. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But I think what it is is uh, in the the early stages of the story, we're not entirely sure what the fearmonger is and how it operates, and that's um, th- that's one of the really good things as that as the story progresses, um, you start you feel like you've got a handle on how this monster is. Um, taking over uh, uh, individuals and and using them to um, create a sense of fear, which makes the, the monster stronger. And you think you know how it's working out. And then there's something which puts not only the characters, but you, the listener, on the back foot. And you're going, oh, okay. And then you slowly start to realise, as the characters are piecing things together, that um, actually it hasn't been working the way that you thought it has been. And that's one of the things that I thought was really good about this story because I think um, it would be far more simpler to write a story where you have um, Jacqueline Pierce's character Sherilyn Harper uh, as as leader of um, of of the uh, the, fa- uh, the fascist party and just go yep yeah, uh, she's been you know she was a, f- uh, a hateful person anyway so the fearmonger recognized that latched itself onto her and just uh, amplified that fear. But actually what, what I thought, and I appreciate I'm sort of jumping ahead here, but one of the things is that towards the end of the story, 
you actually realise that the fearmonger uses those not trying to stir up anger, which is those in the political party, it's actually those that the political party is attacking and amplifying their own fear of the situation. And I thought that was a I thought that was a lot more cleverer. So it's it's using uh, the victim's fear to eff- uh, to effectively make them completely ineffective and make the situation worse. So I thought I thought that was interesting, and I liked how the way that that's how the story developed around that, and then how it was revealed in the final episode. Yeah, and this fear pulls people to extremes in this story, doesn't it? And um, mm-hmm. when when Ace visits Walter, she's initially held at gunpoint. Yes, yeah. And it's a, I thought it was a bit odd that the Doctor was putting Ace in this much danger. Um, but maybe it was odd for me to think that because she's put in danger all the time, you know. But somehow, to me, a man with a gun seems more dangerous than some killer alien. Maybe that says more about my personal fear as opposed to um, what is more deadly or not. Well, no, I, th- I think what you're what you're pinpointing there is the fact that um, someone with a gun is 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 a fear that we recognise. We see it in the real world. Therefore, it it it, it that fear is um, is a, a bit more tangible and much more easier to recognise. Yeah. You you I mean, in reality, you're not gonna you're not gonna walk around the corner and encounter a, a Dalek in real life. No. Whereas. Um, but, but however, if we did, we know that they rarely shoot and they're always defeated. <laughs> yeah, and always aim for the eye stalk, yeah. and you'll be fine. Um, and yes, you're right. The, the doctor is pushing Ace into into a, a dangerous uh, situation, but the way that it's sort of played in the TV series and the way that it's, in my opinion, is largely placed in this story, is he knows how far um, to guide Ace. Uh, it's it's re- it's Ace in that moment who pushes the situation more. The Doctor is trying to tell her, you know, d- don't push the guy with the gun too far. Yes. Um, As we'd learn later on. Yeah. Yeah, and she does actually get uh, shot. And mm. in fact, because one of the one of the the other things that I, I liked about this story was the way it was structured, and I thought that the cliffhangers, all of them were incredibly effective. You know, you have the cliffhanger in episode one, which is, a, you know, a bomb is potentially about to go off and there's a struggle. Um, I thought that was a very, very good cliffhanger and the cliffhanger that we've just mentioned, I, th- I thought they were very good. Yeah, opposed to ones we've recently talked about, maybe Land of the Dead, were those cliffhangers maybe a bit more cliche, like um, being trapped behind a door and things like that. Yes, yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, I, we do like Land of the Dead, but yeah, I mean, in comparison, I think um, the Fearmonger's writing, especially because we're just talking about the, uh, the the cliffhangers here, are a lot more effective um, because they don't feel like cheats. Uh, there is a threat, and you, you know, got you've got to deal with it. And in fact, Ace is shot, and uh, she is wounded, and that actually has an impact on the story. And it takes us three months to recover. Mm-hmm. And in, in that time, um, a lot's changed as well, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, we get to see Sherilyn Harper, um, Jacqueline Pierce's character, mm-hmm. behind the scenes of her rally um, with her assistant, uh, Roderick. Um, and he tells her about the shout-out of the Doctor on the radio. And um, it's curious that they both seem well-versed 
in um, in units nature. Yes, I mean that that sort of information comes later on. It's um... yeah. I think Roderick's got this this other background that um, makes him probably qualified to know this. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was curious that she knew as well. It's like they've got first hand knowledge that unit stops aliens more or less. Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could actually argue that because the way that it um, usually works is that um, in in reality, so when we've got a, a political party in charge, so currently at the time of recording, it's the Conservative Party. Um, so naturally, they are fully aware of all the, the security implications. But also, um, usually what will happen is that there'll be there'll be some information that will be shared with the leader of the opposition. So okay. that so that they are fully informed about the the security of, of the country, um, so perhaps it could be said that the uh, the Britannia Party in the Fearmonger has um, well it could be explained either one or two ways is that because they've gained so much power and support they could be actual that you know they're, they're actually the, the, the opposition they're not a minor party so through normal political protocol they've been informed of certain things. Or the alternative is um, there's been back, you know, there's back channel, back channeling and finding things through through dodgy means. And you think a political party like this wouldn't feel compelled to exploit this information and use it to their advantage and expose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, the way that it's sort of done uh, in this story is that they 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 use it as a way of potentially immediately dealing with the situation themselves, but it's, it's, it's something that they could exploit later on. So there is that uh, to and fro. Uh, the Doctor and Ace go back to see Stephen, which was one of the two attackers from the beginning of the story. And given that this is the first moment that we see them interacting with him, and then they casually bring up the fearmonger being a creature, I felt like I'd missed a few steps in the story. And I thought, wait, have I missed a whole episode here? It's almost like the the story just hits the ground running and doesn't provide you with um, exposition that um, most storyteller might. Did you feel like that? Yeah, I see what you mean. I did uh, to a point, but uh, yes, I would say... I mean, I actually thought that was a, a strength of the storytelling. Of, um, that actually it uh, it allows you, the audience, to fully engage with the story, try piece things together, work things out your, yourself. It's a very lean script. Um, I wouldn't say that there's any form of padding. It's, it feels like every every moment, every scene, every line of dialogue serves a purpose. Yeah, I, I get that. I like, uh, I like storytelling that requires you to use your imagination to... Oh, well, or just use common sense to piece things together. You don't need to be spoon-fed... <laughs> everything do you yeah yeah the first episode concluded with the doctor and ace arriving at um harper's political rally mm-hmm. trying to find walter um all the while we're listening to harper's speech about europe breathing down the neck um and how the we'll, we'll stand against them in the in the name of decent hard work and taxpaying white people so at this stage we're thinking um yeah, evil. But um, I think naturally we'll probably know that she's not necessarily the fearmonger, just a fearmonger. Did you did you feel at this part of the story that she was the fearmonger? Um, 
I think I did. I think I was under the impression that the the t- uh, the title of the story was um, yeah, it was in relation to Sherilyn Harper and how she's um, trying to stir up fear in in, in the population. Um, I thought again going back to to the writing and how her character was was written and performed. I thought that was really good because the speech that you just mentioned. Um, you know, when you when you listen to it, uh, I mean, I don't know how you how you felt, but uh, when I was listening to it to begin with, it it seemed, uh, you know, t- to begin with, a uh, a reasonable political speech to make, which is you know um, fair enough if you're you're not pre pro uh, EU um, for legitimate concerns of uh, sovereignty and uh, and so on. It seemed to be fine, um, and it, the way that the uh, the way that the the speech was was written, I thought was was quite nuanced. I mean this in terms of how um, Jonathan Blum, the writer of the Fearmonger, has presented it, because it's it's uh, he hasn't written it in a way of I'll just make it obvious that these people are you know absolutely atrocious and be quite lazy about the stereotypes. You know, you kind of you have to present why do people listen. Why would uh, people listen to the likes of Cheryl and Harper in the first place? And it, you know, it's because it's um, it's it's horrible things shrouded in something that seems quite reasonable. So in this instance, it's um, you know we have concerns about uh, Europe for whatever reason. Obviously, the bit that causes concern is the bit when she exclusively mentions white people. Yeah. And you're going, oh, they're racist scum. Uh, right, okay, got it. And I, I just thought that was really nicely um, revealed. I thought that was really good. And and, and once again, uh, I think it would be very easy for, for someone to present uh, a character like Harper um, to be um, just be you know, thoroughly evil and whatever. But again, what we're presented with is someone who's quite... Um, is essentially human. Mm. It's curious, though. I think I feel like in reality, if someone said that, would that not be political suicide? That that's a good point because I think what we've seen in fair, I mean, historically speaking, fairly recent years, is that um, far right political parties have become a lot better at um, perhaps being a bit more ambiguous. Being a bit yes, being a bit more ambiguous and being a lot better with um, with how they present themselves. So in the past, this goes back into perhaps some aspects of when this story was written. So back in nineteen ninety nine, uh, you know when you had someone like the BNP uh, around, they were perfectly clear in what they stood for. It was white supremacy, um, as were you know other far right groups. It was all about um, as I said, white supremacy. Whereas now, if you have a look at, at certain uh, groups, and not just in Britain, but um, uh, the, Nas- uh, the National Front equivalent in, uh, in France, for example, they're becoming a lot better at m- you know, muddying the waters a, a bit with uh, what they actually mean. Right. So I think if this story was to be written today, I think that that would obviously be reflected, but I think in that aspect, this, the, um, what we're just talking about now obviously reflects the time when the story was written. Does right, that okay. make sense? Yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, obviously, I'm 
my perception of politics in the 90s was just um, about the current government we had. So mm-hmm. um, it's hard for me to draw a comparison between now and then. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is the this is back in the time when you know people actually liked Tony Blair. <laughs> That's how much of a different world we lived in back in those days. Nineteen ninety-nine. I remember there was heart-shaped lunchboxes with his face on. Oh God, really? I didn't know it was as uh, sycophantic as that. Right? Okay. <laughs> uh, they'll they'll be in a landfill somewhere now. So. After this, um, we're coming up to the first big cliffhanger in part one. Mm-hmm. The Doctor and Ace are beneath the centre stage, and Walter has a bomb with a dead man switch. I love a good dead man switch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's violent attacks being heard above, uh, mm-hmm. firing from laser guns, I like to mention. Um, <laughs> uh, and they fail to talk him out, and the Doctor screams for Ace to stop for the bomb before the bomb goes off. Mm-hmm. So that was a very good cliffhanger, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was good. And yes, because because uh, you mentioned the laser guns, because although this was written in ninety nine and released in early two thousand, uh, it wasn't set then. It was the, the idea was that it, this story is supposed to be set in the near future. Fifteen years after Ace's departure, I think it was. Oh, right. Okay. So not the far future, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. So in part two, Ace, um, it's revealed she managed to keep Walter's hand on the switch. Ace, um, in this story, tries to connect with Walter a lot, doesn't she? Yeah, because um, Walter doesn't trust the Doctor. Because, no. again, this is someone that is aware of the Doctor's files at UNIT. He's, he's, he's actually being shown them. And it was it was sort of interesting that it was it was looking at it was a way of going, well, people could look at the doctor in this particular light, um, which I suppose fits in with um, the way that we're supposed to see the seventh doctor in general, which is yeah. that you know we, we can't fully trust him because he manipulates manipulates situations. So if he manipulates situations and manipulates people, can I fully trust him? Um, Walter is obviously. Um, of, you know, a very fearful character anyway and mm-hmm. so c- quite prone to um to paranoia but yes it's quite nice and this allows uh, ace to um be a big part of the story you know because in uh, through her relationship with walter because walter is someone who can help her and the doctor uh, deal with the fearmonger yeah. So she she's the one that's got to allay his fears and try and calm him down and listen to reason. Yeah. And um, there is moments when he's obviously... A, her and him are a, a reflection of each other, you know, because Ace has to go through the fear as well, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yes. Because a, a big thing is um, with Walter, he can supposedly hear... The voice of the fearmonger speaking, speaking through Cheryl and Harper. Speaking, I know, jeez. Uh, we'll keep that in. Don't worry. Uh, speaking, uh, speaking through Cheryl and Harper, uh, and only he can hear the voice. So, and then later on, when Ace seems to have worked out this gift, and then she can hear it, mm-hmm. uh, which again leads into uh, another brilliant cliffhanger, which is when she can hear. Well, supposedly here, the fearmonger through the Doctor. Um, 
in that particular moment, um, I thought, oh, she's got it. Which turns out, which turns out to be the case, and funny enough, I did as well. But I wasn't fully sure, and that's what I was talking about before. I thought it was very good what we find out about the fearmonger later on, but we're not entirely sure. It it is a bit of it is a bit of guesswork. Yeah, so, and we're not actually sure if the Doctor knows or not for a while. Don't mm-hmm, you know yeah. about Ace? Um, uh, so shortly after the rally, um, the Doctor and company crash on Paul Tanner. Do you remember him? No? No, he wasn't in the TV show, was he? No. Um, <laughs> and the, they listen to the radio, and there's a message from the United Front who opposed the racist policies of um, Britannia mm-hmm. and the plan in a series of surgical strikes and retaliation, which would obviously get worse throughout the story. Yeah. Now, even though, of course, there are times when you could justify fighting back um, like in your, if you're in a state of oppression, um, but is zero tolerance like like in this is, instance, in the case of the United Front, is um is fighting back against the point of view ever effective? Do you think? Well, effectively, what uh, what's starting to look likely in the way that the the story is presented is that it's it's a battle of of ideologies. Yeah. Uh, with people split on, I mean, th- there are you know th- most of the the population are seen to be somewhere in the middle of everything, but you know you've got these incredibly powerful factions. Mm-hmm. Um, so what looks likely is that if if things aren't resolved, the country will probably go down a civil war, mm-hmm. uh, which is you know incredibly bloody. Um, takes a great deal. It takes a l- not just after when the fighting's finished, but it takes a lot of uh, time for for healing to take place. There's mistrust everywhere. Um, obviously, I would say not. I would say that uh, to answer your question, obviously, fe- uh, violence should be the last resort. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but um, oh yeah, I'm glad. Well, some people, but we say it's obvious. I mean, there's people, you know, there's people out there who who actually disagree with that. So we uh, so we should uh, uh, so so we should kill them and that'd be yeah. fine. And uh, I want to make it perfectly clear that I did, <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> this podcast is going to be so divisive. We're going to lose half the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so we get two and a half. All right, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, not that bad. <laughs> the doctor tries to account for the United Front, this faction. As possibly being under the influence of the fearmonger. Do you think the Doctor doesn't understand um, that prejudice, hypocrisy, and fear are all fundamentally human traits? Do you think? Do you think perhaps he's um, overthinking it here, or maybe he's just being he's just trying to fool himself? I I think I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's perhaps naivety i just i think what it is is that he doesn't fully understand what the fearmonger is uh and 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 how it works because there is a lot of guesswork um and the way it's sort of revealed of where the fearmongers come in the first place which i thought was quite interesting which is it's come from this alien world where uh they've engineered these cre- uh, creatures to stir up uh, emotions in the population. But in order to keep it balanced, 
there are different monsters for different emotions. So the fearmonger obviously stirs up fear. I think there was quite a nice joke, which was there's a one that stirs up lust. And Ace goes, well, shame we did, it's something on the lines of a shame we didn't get that one because the, the, the situation would be very different. Um, yeah, it's interesting that um, because Ace says, um, she gives a tale of this civilization who have created a creature that can um, control your emotions. Mm-hmm. And they created them to provide different emotional states to control people's feelings and actions. Possibly taking away people's natural will or free will. And um, and in itself, could this be like a state of oppression as well? Um, which makes you think, if if you could flick a switch and change a person's views to match your own, um, that obviously makes you just as bad, doesn't it? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, uh, it's... Yeah, well... It... Basically, I think you've answered your own question because, as you as you said, if you if you're creating these things, you're removing people's free will. Um, the doctor creates a force field to affect the creature, yeah, yeah, um, and he sends Paul Tanner right into the lion's den this time to the rally. This is another example of the doctor putting someone in danger. Just thought I'd point out. <laughs> yeah. Although, as it would transpire, um, Paul Tanner gives them up, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Um, so they go back to Paul's place and they face to face with a creature, which they believe came from um, Sharon Harper. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know it didn't. <laughs> um, but then uh, this is one of my favourite moments: the doctor, doctor fights it with a frying pan. He's like, "On guard!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so obviously th- there's. Uh... The story is quite a serious one, and it's, it's it's covering serious themes. But there are there are nice moments of humour scattered yeah. out, which are which I think are needed. Um, and Paul admits to Ace that he sold them out. He obviously feels bad, mm-hmm. but this is another example of how fear can control our actions, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In ways we might not expect. And then there's a interesting part. Walter runs off, and he attempts to jump to his death, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. He explains that he wanted to take out Harper, um, specifically only to take down the system, not not necessarily just her. But he talks him through it, saying that he's worth it, just like the Doctor once made her feel. Mm-hmm. That was a nice bit of insight. Yes, uh, it was. I thought that was. I thought that was a really good scene. Um, I mean, once again, it. Because um, one thing that we haven't touched on is is the uh, is the theme of terrorism. I think it's, uh, there's there's an awful lot going on, um, but yeah. Anyway, just going back to that point, which is yeah, I thought that that was a nice scene, and it was a nice little bit of insight into um, how Ace views the Doctor. Yeah, Emily mentioned uh, terrorism there and views. Um, Ace gives a quite a candid speech about the state of what's going on. Um, she mentions the no coloured signs from the sixties. Yes, and that would be the remembrance of the Daleks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the discrimination and violence of her own time. Um, don't need to go into that, you know. It's just um, the state of how things obviously progress and uh, how things are. And now she says, and now in the future, it's ethnic cleansing, she says. And she says it like it's quite a radically backwards way of thinking um, for a society go- to go. But now in 2019, all these things, although I'm hesitant to use this word, it all seems a bit normal. Um, do you think this story was slightly ahead of its time? 
when you sit, what on, you, when I, you... I just mean um, how perhaps the uh, the views expressed in this story um, seems a bit more commonplace now. You know the the way things are going with with um, social stigma. Yes and no. I can, I can see where you're coming from, and I think mm. in that yes, I agree with you in that sense that uh, the fearmonger was was ahead of its time in in that sense. Um, but then it goes into the case of well, did these views ever go away? Obviously, they didn't uh, because they're they're still around. I think what the difference is 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 that the people that believe in these abhorrent viewpoints of of ethnic cleansing feel a bit more comfortable just to talk about them a lot more and i think in that sense it's i mean this is one thing that the fearmonger couldn't predict because i don't think anyone could which is social media a lot of people because a lot of these views are expressed through social media and that's because people can um express the views while keeping their identity hidden mm-hmm. um but otherwise... it's, it, it, these views have uh, increased exponentially with social media I suppose so. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I, I fully agree with that. I can see where you're coming from. I think, um, I mean, because it is, I think what it is is, because I think a lot of people are, are seeing the world as, as that, you know, everything's going to uh, hell in a handbasket and it's just absolutely uh, awful. There are bad things that are happening, yes, but I think that, um, I think perhaps the way that it's it's being conveyed is exaggerated. And I think actually a big issue, which actually I suppose you could go is is contained within the fearmonger, is that there's no real nuance in, and I'm talking about the current world now. There's really no nuance when it comes to uh, talking about political differences, because when you've got people who identify themselves on the left, for example, who disagree with people who are say conservative. It's absolutely, you know, it's just a case of, oh, you're a, Nazi, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. And that just gets banded around constantly. So people are just sort of like pointing their fingers, basically going, well, I disagree with you. You're a fascist, you're a racist, you're a Nazi. And you're going, well, hang on a second. No, they're not. Um, so, whereas obviously some people will be, depending on what has been said. But what I mean is that there's, there's no real nuance. So I think, yes, um, there are... In, in some ways, the expressions of racism and people believing in ethnic cleansing and so on um, through social media, some people find that a lot easier to communicate uh, that. But in the same but in the same sense, because there's a significant group of people who are just pointing to people who disagree with them um, and calling them racists when when they're not. No. Yeah. So when you when you're just hearing racist, 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 people are going, God, there's a lot of racism around. Uh, where the truth of that may, may not may not necessarily be the case. Yeah. Um, so after Ace gives her um, views on um, how things are going, she says um, that sadly nothing changes, but the doctor reacts more optimistically. Um, that even though there's no but butterfly to tip the balance, um, over the decades, millions of butterflies um, will cause the weather to change somehow, mm-hmm. which was quite a nice um, little statement. And it was, uh, yeah, and it was it was nice that um, the story ended ended on that optimistic note. Um, not just because I think that the story needed it, but I also think it's true that there are moments in time 
where horrible things may occur and hopefully you deal with them in the best situation but largely things are quite positive and it's because largely people are decent and largely you know things are positive yeah i think as long as you don't necessarily have to react and tip the balance in your favor as long as you um stick to what's right you know stick to your own ideals that's 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 got to be the way forward hasn't it yeah, but I think I think it's uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be anything sort of like majorly profound. It's just um, I think it's just what I think most people recognise. It's just being kind and decent, uh, recognising uh, differences and uh, either accepting them or tolerating them. Um, yeah, and just just being just being reasonable. There's a moment where I can't remember who it is. Maybe um, Walter. Someone says to the doctor, "Oh, you're not human." Um, and he reply, he gives quite an unclear response. He's like, um, "Human is a relative term," and I will admit my relatives are rather odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I thought was a nice line. Yeah. The United Front then arrive with guns and demand to get in the car, mm-hmm. take them off. Um, and of course, they have laser guns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's revealed why th- why they've got them, but I did think it was um odd inclusion in the story. <laughs> Didn't really go anywhere, did it? Didn't no, have but, some. They didn't need them in the final battle. You know? No, but I think it was just a case. I think it was one of those things of it's the future, you know. They've got laser guns. I think it was just a, you know, just to emphasise that a bit. It reminds me of Predator Two, that was set in the far off nineteen ninety eight, <laughs> and they had better guns. And of course, society had kind of um, took a similar turn to this. You know, there was. Um, all the all these drug wars in LA <laughs> and yeah. fighting in the streets, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, because as we know, science uh, science fiction isn't really there to predict the future. It's 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 really there. What it does is um, look at present day concerns and puts them through this sort of like enjoyable yeah. filter. So yeah, obviously when when Predator Two uh, was you know, was written and released. That was because in LA in real life back then there was there was these uh, issues. But it is mm-hmm. sort of funny when. When they give uh, a date as well, that's strange. Yeah, that's the thing. When they give mm-hmm. it a date, so very when, soon Blade Runner is going to have came came and gone. Yeah, it was set in twenty nineteen. It's like what, jeez. <laughs> and then of course we've got Blade Runner twenty forty nine set in the far far future. They've so, done it again. <laughs> they've done it again. Um, so I mean, th- I loved it when. I mean, that's the thing is sort of getting the balance. When I th- when uh, Russell T Davis was writing Doctor Who, and things were set in the year five billion, <laughs> I always thought even Dalek a- was set in the year twenty twelve. <laughs> Oh, jeez, you're right. I forgot oh, about yes, that. Oh, yes, and do you remember we did our recent long game podcast? Yeah. And um, Adam, um, who's travelling with the Doctor and Rose, accesses a computer, mm-hmm. and he finds out that um, computers become obsolete in the year 2019. Yeah. So don't give a date. Just say one day. <laughs> yeah, one day. I um, either think this show isn't going to survive or, like, human civilization will be gone by then so it'll not be an issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah so things that are set in the fi billion aren't gonna you know it'll be quite a while before um before... so with doctor who's still around by then people are going to be scratching their heads thinking eh <laughs> i didn't de- think this through did they <laughs> <laughs> these idiots but yeah, it seems. But I think they'd go. It seems a bit more reasonable to set it in the FI billion because that would have been like billion years in the future. Whereas it's in the far, far future, you know, in twenty years' time. 
Well, look at that. The Tenth Planet was set in the far future of 1986. Yes, and Pluto was still a planet. Back then, so... Now we've got the... Since the reclassification of planets, mm-hmm. we'll have to rename the Tenth Planet. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know what? It's... Um... It could be... What, do you, what would you call it? The Dwarf Planet or the Ninth Planet? What's a better name? The Dwarf Planet. The Ninth I don't know. I think the ninth planet sounds better. What do you yeah. think? The ninth planet. Mm. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although didn't um, didn't Doctor Who predict decimalization, or was it already um on the table that it was going to happen? What? When? You know, in um, am I remembered it correctly? You know, with um, with Susan. And Ian, mm-hmm. in the pilot episode. Oh yes, you're right. And like, uh, the decimal system was that kind of already in the cards? Was that already going to happen, or was it just a, a speculation? I think it was just a speculation because I don't think we entered the. Uh, we didn't go decimal until I think 1970. Right, well, certainly yeah. the early 1970s. Mm. Um, so I think, I think it was just speculation, but it seemed quite sensible because. Europe had gone that way and yeah. America had obviously had the decimal system. We were yeah. still on the... I love that uh, scene which sort of uh, re- it sort of references that bit in their Remembrance of the Daleks when Ace is being told that it's um, there's 240 pennies to the pound, 20 shillings to the pound. <laughs> I'm just going, jeez. There's, um, there's a chap called uh, Peter Hitchens um, who's, who some uh, listeners may be uh, familiar with. Uh, he... He says that he much prefers the imperial system uh, for, for one reason. It's because uh, because you're having to deal with these sort of figures, it makes people's math skills uh, a lot better. Which you may have a point, uh, because <laughs> we have got very lazy. It's dead easy to work out that's 100 pennies to the, uh, pe- 100 pennies to the pound. Rather than working out 240 and everything's in twelfths. And... What's half a crown? All what I know is it's easy. Yeah. I think the Santarans have got it easier because they've got they don't have ten says ten fingers, so they don't have the decimal system. Ah, they just have like to them a quid is like sixty pence because they've only got six fingers. Ah, so the pound's stronger. Yeah. In Red Dwarf, the currency they have is dollar pounds. Oh yes, I forgot about that. Yeah. So okay. um, uh, maybe maybe we've got like the reunification of us in America to come. But which way will it be? <laughs> which way? Yeah, well, will uh, will we uh, will we become airstrip one, or will we rec- or will we reclaim America? Um, we'll conquer them when we're an empire again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Just reabsorb them. <laughs> Where were we? All <laughs> oh, right, okay. the 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 United Front has taken. Um. Everyone, and um, Walter joins them, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takes uh, Ace takes off a blindfold, and she's feeling rather confident. Um, and the Doctor tries to persuade her not to be, and mm-hmm. then of course she gets shot. And that's cliffhanger, cliffhanger number two. Yeah. So in part three, Ace is recovering in hospital, and the Doctor hates hospitals. We know we'll end up back there one day, won't he? <laughs> yeah. As well, especially this, yeah, especially this incarnation. Yeah. And Maybe yeah. um, you know when he wakes up screaming in his final breath. 
Maybe yeah. he's screaming because he's realised he's in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, probably. Talk about the TV movie, that scene, because that bit was only... I only saw that bit when it was finally released on um, DVD. On DVD, right, okay. <laughs> because when it was uh, when that was originally when it was originally broadcast in Britain in 1996, that's, that bit was seen as being a bit too strong. So they edited it out. So, so when... Uh, when I finally saw that bit when he's screaming his head off just before he dies in uh, in the TV movie uh, on the DVD, it was just it, I was really puzzled. Like, where the hell's yeah. this come from? That was of weird. course you hadn't listened to the Fearmonger, so you didn't know that it, you were thinking, why does he hate hospitals so much? <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> now it all makes sense. <laughs> no, hang on, wait a second. How would that work? This came out in two thousand. I think the TV movie was thinking ahead. It's like they'd anticipated, like the decimal system. Ah, oh, of course. They'd predicted uh, it. They'd predicted, predicted it. Her. All yeah. ties in. Brilliant. I think one day he's going to admit he hates hospitals. Mm-hmm. So let's just conclude it now and see it later. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It all makes sense. And then we kind of got to answer the question. So if he hates hospitals, why is he called the doctor? <laughs> Yeah, so the doctor's escorted away from the hospital by Roderick. And then Roderick admits that he's just in it for the money, which was interesting, wasn't it? Did you, do you remember that bit? Um, yeah, he admits so... why he's in the New Britannia party, but he said um, it because of the financial side of it. <laughs> yeah, so he's not. So it sort of puts you on the... You don't know what to think of this character, really. I mean, because he's not... Clearly, he's not a man of principle. No. Um... But then, but I mean, then yeah. there of course there's an interesting moment with him at the end, isn't there? Mm-hmm. That we'll get to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and shortly afterwards, the doctor's kind of set free, and Roderick says that it's like the doctor's got a get out of jail free card. Of course, he can just um, walk free because of unit, can't he? Mm-hmm. And um, I like the scene. When the fearmonger meets the doctor in the hospital waiting room, and with the doctor, things have now been put into, into perspective. You know, he's um, the doctor quite bluntly just shrugs it away because he's got he got he's got something bigger to worry about now, hasn't he? With yes, Ace being yeah. shot, yeah. And then we kind of jump to three months later. You know, Ace has had three months to recover in hospital. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another story to be told there. Oh, don't be giving Big Finish any ideas. There's enough to listen to as enough as it is. There's four seasons set during the Fearmonger coming out. <laughs> Can you imagine? What? The hospital adventures? Ace the hospital years. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> no wonder the Doctor hates hospitals by the movie. He's <laughs> saying, like, let's spend three months in one. <laughs> So anyway, cut to three months later, and there's been a lot of violence and attacks. Um, and then Paul is on the Mick Thompson show, showing off his force field, and then Harper shows up too. Oh, and then of course Walter visits Ace in hospital. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously going to be quite fearful at this stage. And he finds out that the doctor's been running black ops for the UN, or so he thinks, since the 70s. And... um. He thinks that's reason enough to fear him. Mm-hmm. And this must be when the fearmonger jumps across to Ace. Is that right? 
Yes, that's the point because um, I think Ace is what... obviously afraid at this point. She's just been shot, and then of course Walter walks in, who is with the United Front. Yeah. So understandably, she's going to be scared. Mm-hmm. And then that, yeah, because that's the moment when she um, she starts seeing the voice, mm-hmm. believing that to be the fearmonger. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, Walter hears the creature in Mick Thompson's voice, and Ace hears it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the doctor calls Mick Thompson, Mick Thompson out to the Isle of Dogs and um, Ace and Walter kind of pursue him, don't they? And to the doctor's surprise, the creature isn't and was never in Mick Thompson. Did you suspect that it was in Walter initially? So I started to suspect maybe that was where the story was going, but it wasn't 100%. It was still sort of uh, like like the character. And that was what I quite what I quite liked was that you were working it alongside the characters yeah because because sometimes it can be a bit it can be a bit frustrating when for example you're you're reading an adventure and you, you've worked out things several chapters before the characters and you go these people are so dim um and i think that's that's just a case of maybe bad writing and too many clues being provided um you've got to strike that balance mm. uh, which i think the story does quite you are yeah yeah so uh i did start to suspect that's maybe where things were going but i wasn't 100 percent yeah, and it's hard to know where the doctor's at in his mind as well because um, the doctor tells Ace that she must have imagined the voice in her head, in her mind. Mm-hmm. Do you think he believes what he's telling her, or do you think he's um, trying not to admit it to himself, or maybe not to get her fear, uh, her scared? I think at that point he's he's probably worked it out. But again, it goes back into that thing because when that scene's playing out especially to, uh in the the final episode um you the listener are kind of wondering going well is it with ace is what the doctor's saying true or is it the fearmonger trying to trick uh, because it was sort of playing on that perception of of the seventh doctor being the dark doctor yeah um so yeah i quite liked that but overall i think the way that the story concludes i think it's the doctor is a, is actually saying the truth at that point. Mick Thompson reports the violence from amongst the mob, doesn't he? Um, yeah, so so it's interesting having a radio show there. Do people still listen to um, live radio anymore uh, for news? <laughs> I think so, probably on the on on the daily commute. But yeah, I think um, it's well. It's like what you said at the very beginning, where they because this is an audio story. I think makes sense that um the the media aspect of the story is is depicted through uh through a radio show you can imagine it must help with the narrative of the story you know you, you present it in a way that um is meant to come across an audio anyway mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean they, they could have used it as a as a tv production um but uh that may i mean i think it could have worked but it's 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 far more probably easier and effective to to use it as radio and prob- maybe in that sense, the the story is has dated a, a little in that respect. But um, I don't think hugely. No. Um, I mean, you could actually say that, actually, if you were to um, modernise the story, you could just tweak that of going, it's a guy doing a very popular podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe do it that way. Or it's someone who does live um, live YouTube videos about the news or whatever. Um Maybe go down that route if you were modernising it. So the story starts to wrap up at this point. Um, 
Walter brings the Doctor and Ace and um, Mick Thompson to see, you know, the man from the United Front. Mm-hmm. And he admits that he didn't want the violence to get to this level. And, you know, he didn't want anyone to get hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, the, their main target was, of course, um, unoccupied kind of um, buildings, wasn't it? And then we find out that Roderick was involved in it, um, actually. He was providing the United Front with the laser guns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, <laughs> those damn laser guns again. Yeah. I feel like it's an attempt to shoehorn sci-fi into the episode, but we already had the creature there. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yes, um, because... Roderick was doing this. He was instigating this. He was truly fearmongering with his political agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very bleak thought that political parties could be um, exploiting people's fear for their own gain. I have an offend. I can't see that ever happening. <laughs> so um, when it's revealed that the whole conversation of Roderick implicating himself uh, is being broadcast. Mm-hmm. Because um, Mick Thompson's got his... Is it Mick Thompson or, or Paul? Someone's got their phone broadcasting, yeah? Mm-hmm. He maintains his integrity, doesn't he? And he shares the supporters that Harper had no involvement. And this is interesting when you consider his commitment to the cause. The fact that um, he was just in it for the money. So do you think he has a soft spot for Cheryl and Harper? If he doesn't believe in the cause, why is he... Um, kind of t- taken their fall for it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I think the the way that I saw it was that um, maybe he 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 went into it initially for those reasons, but the way that I uh, the what I took away from the story was that yeah, he did have a, a soft spot for Sheldon Harper. Yeah, but he didn't really resist, did he? Even when he um heard that maybe the police are on the way. Mm-hmm. You just kind of yielded like a Scooby Doo villain, you know. <laughs> yeah. He, he's just defeated. So, but it's not resolved yet, is it? Um, Ace obviously believed that the creature was inside the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, the Doctor goes off and visits Cheryl and Harbour for the for the final time. Yeah. Had he ever met her actually in this story? Was this the one and only time? Oh, I can't remember. I, mean, I, yeah. I, I, I want I want to say that maybe he met her. Briefly before, but I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Um, she admits that the attacks on herself were just on herself and the property, mm-hmm. um, and she denies any connection to the actual violence that happened. Even mm-hmm. though what they did kind of um, started that violence, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so that they um, were the cause. But then she admits that she's afraid. And then the Doctor does his vanishing act, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So I, like, yeah. I like that scene, yeah. I thought it was very good. And it sort of it reminded me of uh, the Happiness Patrol at the the very end, the way that the Doctor confronts Helen A and makes her learn and see the truths of, of the situation that, you know, um, in that case, it was a totalitarian regime forcing people to be happy. Um, and he teaches her a lesson by making her sad and it's to me this had sort of similar echoes and i think it's, it's you know it's, it's a very good um 
I think it's a very good ending that Sherilyn Harper, you know, was uh, trying to to ramp up fear for her own political gain. It's backfired, and now and she, um, now she's, she's got scared a taste of, the, of her own medicine. Yeah, 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 and she's scared of the fallout, and uh, <laughs> as she should. Yeah, that's a nice conclusion for her. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not a nice conclusion for her, but <laughs> in relation to the story. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Ace is planning to stop the creature. When she meets the Doctor, she shows off her suspicion, doesn't she? So the Doctor knows something's going on. But it's interesting, it also seems that the Doctor didn't know that Ace would be willing to die to save him. He was quite surprised, wasn't he? Yes, yes he was, yeah. He says, oh, I didn't know. But the Doctor used the voice of reason against her violence, and he prevails. Is that maybe the purpose of this story? Is that the message? Yes, I th- yeah, yeah, very much so. And I think because when we were talking about um, the story in general terms earlier before, um, you know, we were saying that you know, saying that violence should always be the, the very last resort and, and reason should win out. And yeah, I think that's I think that is the the message of the story: violence begets violence. Um, as we can see with the, the different factions within the story, they may begin with the best of intentions so in this case mm. you know we only targeted um you know this not innocent civilians but then things can easily um get out of hand so yeah i, th- I think that is the message of the story great and then the final note of the story um we'll have mick thompson reporting as usual so clearly he hasn't learned to change his ways mm-hmm. which goes back to ace's point of view that nothing really changes yeah, and I think... I, That's a less optimistic way to end it. It is, yeah. But it's like what we were saying before, sort of, I was more in line with what what, what the Doctor was saying before. Yeah. Um, but it is it is true. You Not everyone will... Um, not everyone will... Not everyone learns from, from yeah, their you, mistakes. You can't change everyone, and you shouldn't try, you know? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. No, you can't force people to, to learn <laughs> something. It, you know, it has to be an, a natural thing. So... And I actually think that's quite a believable ending for the story with there uh, with some of the characters. You know, some people are aware of the mistakes that they made, and some aren't. So yeah, that was that, that was a good conclusion. And with the Doctor and Ace, they've clearly learned more about each other, and I think more about themselves after this story. Mm-hmm. So it progresses the characters. Yeah, very much so. So yeah, I think it was a great story. Any final points, or do you want to go to a rating? I think we'll. Um, I think we'll go into a rating because I think we've. Unless there's anything that you'd like to add. I don't think so. No. Um, so what would you give it? Well, I think, I think thematically, this is a, a very strong story. As, uh, as we've said earlier, the, there are certain aspects of its themes which have dated it very much to when it was written in 1999. But a vast majority of it can can still be relevant, regardless of the the dated aspects of it. I still think it's a very good listen. Um, I like the story. It could be argued that it's perhaps not science fictiony enough. Yes, you've got the fearmonger, but you could actually argue that it doesn't form the main thrust of the story. But nevertheless, I think it is very good. I like the way it's written. I like the way it's structured. I like the characters. For me, 
of the big Finnish audio adventures that we've been looking at since The Sirens of Time, I think this is probably the strongest. Uh, I'd give it an 8. Uh, okay. So yeah, I was torn between 7 and 8, so I dropped it down to a 7. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, well, that's it's, it's not a perfect story. But no, yeah, no, it's, it's one of the stronger ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, the story does hit the ground running, which to me, it made me initially feel like I'd missed a few beats. Mm-hmm. Um, but we discussed that earlier and kind of agreed that that was a good thing, yeah. Mm-hmm. It clearly skates around some of the issues that Ace mentioned, like ethnic cleansing, instead of maybe tackling these things head on. Yeah, like, uh, l- like Like the recent Rosa Parks episode, for example. Yes, I mean, because yeah, that's the thing, sort of like ethnic cleansing gets mentioned, but then isn't really followed through. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, well, there's a, there's enough going on here anyway without sort of like mentioning that, which is obviously something incredibly serious. Yeah. Um, so, so why why mention it at all? There's, a, there's, mm. there's enough going on. But like you say, there's enough going on and um, the story does effectively convey the struggles of the individual characters and what they're going through and it shows their resolve. But there are maybe, a, so there's, there's very few loose ends in this story, you know? Mm-hmm. With regards to characters, there's no, there's no pointless characters, is there really? No, that's true. And I, I, that's what I was saying before. I think uh, the, the script is very lean, and that's good. There's, you know, the, the, there's no superfluous characters. Which, with some of the other big Finnish uh, adventures, we have mentioned that there are one or two instances where well, we've got this character, but they didn't seem to really serve a purpose. Whereas here, everyone is there. Uh, to serve as a story and that's good and every 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 line serves a purpose and so on so i think it is very very well written yeah um well i thought the story was really interesting um i was in fact more interested in who was and who wasn't under the influence of the creature rather than who was because um the accent the actions we're seeing here weren't from a hostile alien force they were very much fundamentally human qualities Yes. And yeah, that's yeah. a billion times more terrifying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> of course, that I've... just reflects my fears of um, real-life dangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, it shows that, you know, you're, uh, you're a bit more sensible. It's, it's better to be concerned about real things rather than being concerned about, um, I don't know, autons or something. <laughs> Although that has been a fear from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say if there's one small quibble that I had with this story, which began as soon as it started, which it wasn't a problem with the the earlier big finishes, but for some reason it kind of it, it bugged me a little bit now, which was the use of the 1960s uh, theme tune. I mean, I like it, obviously, but at this point I was just going, I wish you would... I mean, this is really minor, really, but yeah. I was just thinking I, I would have liked it if you used the theme tune that was... Uh, that was used during the McCoy era. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's um, that's just a minor point. You're just fear-mongering now. <laughs> um, so we'll be back next week with another episode. Most recently, we've talked about other big Finnish stories, The Sirens of Time, Phantasmagoria, The Whispers of Terror, Land of the Dead... Yep. Is that all of them? So uh, yes. Uh, in terms of uh, the past ones, we have looked at the first episode of The Legacy of Time, which is uh, the most, at the time of recording, the most recent uh, Big Finish audio release. 
course, we're on Instagram. Yep, that's right. Uh, on Instagram, it is cloister underscore bell. Yep, and if you go to cloisterbell.co.uk, you can get a list of all the um, social media handles. We're on Twitter at Podcast Bell. We're on Facebook under the Cloister Bell Podcast. And you can also find a list on cloisterbell.co.uk of how to listen if you've got an Android device or an iPhone or whatever. All the relevant links are there. Yep, so until next week, goodbye for now. Bye-bye.